presence of everyone this morning. I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. Before we begin, I just want to kind of reiterate what uh, Jared said about the reading this morning and throughout the book of Chronicles, 1 Chronicles. It's difficult reading. Brother Jimmy did a good job with the names. Those are hard names. And uh, uh, he did a good job with them, and I appreciate that a great deal. We might wonder sometimes, why are we reading these verses? Why, why are we reading all these names? Why, why are we reading this part of the Bible? Why, why don't we just skip this and get on uh, to another section? Well, all of the Bible is important. And I might not understand the importance of it. That, that's kind of up to me to try to study that and, and learn what that might be. But, but who am I to say, well, this part of the Bible is unimportant and we can skip that. Well, that's not our decision to make. And so all the Bible is important. And so we try to honor that and suggest that by reading all of the Bible. And so it might seem like where well, we get bogged down in all these Old Testament names and genealogies and things like that. But just remember, all the Bible is important. And if I don't understand the importance, maybe I need to take that as motivation to learn a little bit more about it. You might recognize this slide, Evangelism in the Book of Acts. And so for the month of October, Brother Merkel and I have been drawing out of the Book of Acts some lessons that we hope will motivate us to reach out to the lost, try to introduce them to the gospel, sit down and study the gospel with them in an effort to bring people in, to evangelize them, to bring them the good news of Christ. You might remember the first lesson that Brother Merkel did had to do with uh, events in the book of Acts, some cases of conversion in which God or the Lord or an angel directed an individual to go and teach another. Philip was told to go and teach the Ethiopian eunuch. Peter was told to go to the house of Cornelius and teach as well. And so you might notice in the point of the lesson, one of the points was God could have taught these people that were lost through the angel or through the Spirit himself, but that's not the way it was done. God has always depended on other human beings to teach human beings. And so he instructs human beings like Philip and Peter and others to go and teach. It's incumbent upon us. We are the agents of God's work of evangelism, of taking the gospel to the lost. And so we need to take that responsibility on our shoulders, look for the opportunity to teach, and then take advantage of it. In the next lesson, I looked at some of the early uh, occasions of evangelism, Acts chapter 2 and chapter 3, and especially chapter 4 drew out some points. I noted that these were men, these apostles, were men just like you and me. They were regular, ordinary people. Uh, they were fishermen and tax collectors. We don't know much about other occupations, but perhaps uh, farmers or carpenters or people like that. Only one that we know of had any formal theological training, Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul. And yet these men were able to go out and preach the gospel and reach hundreds and thousands and ten thousands of people throughout the, the Roman Empire. Well, how, how did they do that? We well, might remember, we, we look at the, the quotation, the famous quotation, never underestimate the power of a small group of committed people to change the world. It's the only thing that ever has. 
Well, these men spent time with Jesus. We saw that in chapter 4. They were recognized as not formally trained and undereducated, but they were also noted to have spent time with Jesus. And so that was an important element in their work of evangelism. They knew Jesus. They had spent time with Him. And then, you remember when they're charged not to teach in the name of Jesus, Peter says, we cannot help but teach what we have seen and heard. They were committed. Well, we need to draw from that. We need to spend time with Jesus in the Word, studying the Word. And then we need to speak and be committed to speaking what we've learned from Christ. Remember last week, Dustin talked about uh, Acts chapter uh, 18, and Paul is in the city of Corinth. Who, who, who would guess that Corinth would be a good place to establish a local church? With all the immorality that's going on in Corinth, you would think, well, they, they're not going to be interested. And yet, God tells Paul, I have many people in this city. I have lots of people in this city. You just have to find them. What do you think? You think God has people in Birmingham or God has people in Pelham or, or Alabaster or Helena? Does God have people in Chelsea and all these places where we live? Might God have people there? Well, we need to find them and then draw them in and then teach them. For this lesson, this is the last lesson, we're going to look at the last part of the book of Acts. And, and, and so go all the way over to chapter 28. You'll note, maybe like I have, but the book of Acts ends with a cliffhanger. At least that's the way it has always seemed to me. There, there's not a resolution to the story in Acts chapter 28. At least that's the way I've always kind of looked at it. If you go back to chapter 21, you find that Paul had been taken into custody by the Jews, falsely accusing him of taking a Gentile man into the temple and defiling it. And so, again, falsely accused, but Paul is arrested, and then he's taken into custody by the Jews. Following his arrest, he defends himself before the crowd of people, chapter 22, and before the Sanhedrin in chapter 23. A plot is made against him. They're going to kill him. They're going to lay, lie in wait for him, and when they have an opportunity, they're going to kill him. But he escapes with the help of his nephew. We see that in chapter 23 as well. He's then transferred to Caesarea down on the coast from Jerusalem, where he stands before Felix, the governor of Judea, chapter 24. He's then kept in prison for two years. Two years. Here's a man falsely accused, done nothing wrong, and he's taken out of Jerusalem to Caesarea, and he's just held there as a prisoner for two years. Um, eventually, Festus replaces Felix as the governor of Judea. When Paul sees that really he's become a political pawn, he, he's sort of a, a pawn in you know, uh, the relationship between the governor and the Jews. He appeals to Caesar, which was his right as a Roman citizen. I want to take my case to Caesar. I want Caesar to listen to my case. I'm going to make my case before him, and maybe I can get some justice there. Before he goes to Rome, he tells a story to Herod Agrippa in chapter 26. On that occasion, Agrippa and Festus agree. If this man had not appealed to Caesar, he could be released. They could see that he had not done anything worthy of imprisonment or any other kind of punishment. But he's sent by ship to Rome, and while on the way, the ship is caught in a storm, and the ship is destroyed. Paul and those on the ship find refuge on a little island called Malta. 
and he spends three months there. Two years in prison, and then on ship, then in Malta, then now three months in Malta. Finally, he boards a ship headed for Rome, and when he arrives there, he's welcomed by the brethren, but he's still a prisoner. He's still a prisoner there. Uh, at the end of the book of Acts, we find that he lived in his own hired quarters, sort of under house arrest. And so Peter's not, Paul's not down in a dungeon somewhere in chains. He is under arrest. He can't travel about. He can't go about like I'm sure he would like to do. He's got to stay in that house. And he spends his time preaching and teaching there while he's under house arrest. And that's how the book of Acts ends. What happens to him? <laughs> that's the cliffhanger, isn't it? What, what, what happens to him? Does he ever get to talk to, to appeal to Caesar? Is he released? Does he stay in prison several more years? Is he killed? What, what happens? We, we don't know. So that's why I say it always seemed to me that the book of Acts ends in a cliffhanger. He's been through a very difficult ordeal, falsely accused, arrested, condemned, tried, transferred, imprisoned, shipwrecked, confined, all over a period of more than four years. And again, we're left to wonder what happened to him. What I want to do is draw your attention again to the end of the book of Acts. Here's chapter 28. This is the Greek version of chapter 28. Just want to get that whole chapter in front of you. It'd be, take me a long time to work my way through that. But what I really want you to focus on is the very last part. Here are the last couple of verses in chapter 28. And these, here are those verses here. They say this. I'll read them to you. He remained two whole years in his own hired dwelling, and he was receiving all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence or boldness, un, uh, unhindered. Now, this is the word that I really want you to see right here. Unhindered. He's teaching the things concerning Jesus Christ with all boldness, unhindered. It, this is the way that's word spelled in, in English. Akolutos is the word. Let's talk about that word a little bit. It's an adverb. Everybody knows what adverbs are. Adverbs modify verbs. And so here's an adverb. It says something about preaching and teaching. It tells us the manner in which he was preaching and teaching. And so here's this adverb. It's modifying these verbs, preaching and teaching, telling us something about though the, his work of preaching and teaching. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a word that has a prefix on it. This letter A denotes a negation of the verb kaluo. Now kaluo means to hinder or to prevent or to stand in the way of something or to forbid something. And so with this prefix letter A, it means the opposite of being hindered or the opposite of being prevented. And so unhindered, not prevented, not, nothing standing in the way of, not forbidden. Now the fact that it's the last word is an interesting feature of this particular passage, isn't it? See, Acts concludes in this open-ended way. What, what happens? What happens to Paul? That was my question. What happens to Paul? Is, does he appeal to Caesar and get to stand before Caesar? Does he continue in prison? Is he relieved? What, what happens to him? Until I realize that 
The book of Acts is not really about Paul. <laughs> it's not about Paul. It's about the triumph of the gospel over obstacles. At least that's one of the reasons or one of the themes in the book of Acts. And, and see, that, that story is not complete. That story is open-ended. And what we learn when we look at the book of Acts is that nothing can prevent the spread of the gospel. It is going to go forward unhindered. No wonder it's open-ended. No wonder the book of Acts doesn't reach a resolution or a conclusion. Because, you see, the story continues to go on even today. Even today, the gospel is going forward unhindered. And so, with good reason, we find this particular word being the very last word in the book of Acts. Well, what I want to do in the next section of our study this morning is go back over the book of Acts. Go back over the book of Acts and look at some of the things that could have possibly hindered the spread of the gospel. And so let's sort of elaborate on and flesh out this idea that the gospel has been preached overcoming obstacles without being stopped, without being hindered. And so go back over the book of Acts and let's look at some of the things that could have possibly hindered the preaching of the gospel. Go all the way back to Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they heal a man who is lame, and crowd gathers around, and they begin to, to preach the gospel. And of course, the leaders of the people don't, 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 don't appreciate that. And so they challenge them. They want to get them to stop preaching in the name of Christ. And so you go into chapter 4 and look at verses 18 and following. When they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now, now these are the leaders of the people. These are the people in charge. These are the people with authority among the Jews in Jerusalem. And they're charging Peter and John, do not speak at all. When it comes to Jesus, you just don't say anything about that man. They summoned them. They commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them, on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. And so they threatened them further. Don't be preaching or teaching in the name of Jesus anymore. And if you do, bad things are going to happen to you. Well, what do they do in light of all that? Well, we find in verse 23, when they had been released, they went there to their own companions, reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. They find out more information about that. And then finally, verse 31, when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. <laughs> and so they're intimidated. To the chief priests, the leaders of the people, stop teaching in the name of Jesus. If you continue to do that, you're in for trouble. We're going to make it hard on you. And they release them. They had not done anything really criminal, so they release them. And what do they do? They just keep right on preaching. Now, that could have been an obstacle, couldn't it? That could have stopped them. That could have hindered the spread of the gospel when they were threatened in this way and intimidated in this way. But they refused. We will not be intimidated by you. We cannot help but teach and preach the things we've seen and heard. And so they just go right on 
They just go right on preaching. Here's another potential obstacle that was overcome. Acts chapter 5, in fact, the very next chapter, verses 17 and 18, but the high priest rose up along with his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. And so we've gone from Peter and John. Now all the apostles are put in a public jail. But eventually the apostles are freed by an angel. You remember an earthquake occurs and, and they're, they're released. And verse 23 says, We found the prison house locked quite securely and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened up, we found nobody inside. The captain of the temple guard and the other priests heard these words, were greatly perplexed about them as to what would become of this. Someone came and reported to them, the men that, you're, that you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. <laughs> yeah. And so they go to find these men in prison. The doors are locked. There's nobody in, in, in the cell. And somebody says, well, you know those guys you arrested? They're, they're at the temple. They're teaching. <laughs> and so imprisonment, the threat of imprisonment, could have been a real obstacle to the preaching of the gospel, especially as it follows the experience of Peter and John and the, attempted, the attempt to intimidate them. But, but you know, they, they, went in, they were not hindered by that at all. And so they just keep right on preaching. They just keep right on teaching. And, of course, the gospel then continues and, and the church continues to grow. In Acts chapter 6, we have another potential obstacle. It says, now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, an interesting expression there, isn't it? The disciples are increasing in number. You look at the last verse of chapter 5, it says, every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. And the number of the disciples is increasing in number. Well, you remember on this occasion, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. We got a, we got a problem in the church. Some, something is not, is, there's a problem and nothing is being done about it. And you know our church problems are? They can grow and they can develop and they can become very divisive so that really it affects ruin in the church. And so here's a real problem in the church, church, an internal church problem that could hinder the spread of the gospel. Peter says in verse 2, the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. And so, and so look, we're not going to let this church problem distract us from our work of preaching the gospel. Choose seven men that can handle it, we'll appoint it over, and then we're going to devote ourselves to the ministry of the Word. And so, if the apostles had allowed it, this could have been a real obstacle to the preaching of the gospel. But they, 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 they addressed the problem, they solved the problem, and they just kept right on preaching. And so they didn't let these kinds of obstacles, either from without or from within, deter them from the work at hand. Go over to Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, we have a, a, a record of Stephen's a sermon. And you remember the result of Stephen's sermon. It's a long chapter. 
at the end of uh, at, at the end of the chapter, the people that were listening to him were cut to the quick. Verse fifty-four says, began gnashing their teeth at him, and eventually they kill him. Verse fifty-nine, they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, "Lord Jesus, receive my spirit." And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, "Lord, do not." hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep, which means that he, he died. And so he's stoned to death for preaching the gospel. Now, I, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people might say, well, I mean, look at what this preaching the gospel has brought to us. Intimidation, imprisonment, and now death. Wait a minute. Wait. Maybe we ought to rethink this thing. But that's not the case at all. They went right on preaching and teaching, just right, went right on doing the work that they had been given. In Acts chapter 12, we find another case of martyrdom. Acts chapter 12, verse 1, about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. So there's another martyr, another person killed uh, for the cause of Christ. He's seeking to kill Peter. Peter escapes. And again, you think, well, hey, maybe we ought to think, of it, think twice about this, this work we've taken on. Uh, it, it's getting us and our, our people in trouble. But that's not the way they thought. They just kept right on preaching. Look at Acts chapter 8. Go back to Acts chapter 8. After the death of, C, uh, of Stephen, uh, we find that Saul, verse 1, was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And so here's a, a persecution that arises. Other persecutions come at the hands of the Jews. Later, persecution will come from the local government. And even the empire eventually will persecute Christians. And so you've got persecution from the Jews, from local governments, from empire-wide government as well, persecuting Christians. But the word is preached. Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. Therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Preaching the word. And so, could have been that, you know, the governing authorities are against us. The governing authorities are telling us to stop. The governing authorities are intimidating us. The governing authorities are imprisoning us and even killing us. But they went right on preaching the Word. They weren't intimidated by that. They weren't discouraged by that. They went right on preaching the Word. There are lots of cultural differences as they went about preaching, weren't there? Philip is a Jew, but in Acts chapter 8 he goes to Samaria and preaches, the, preaches Christ, and he preaches uh, the kingdom of God there as well. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 4 and, and going down through really the most of the chapter, down through at least verse 24. And so they go to, he goes to Samaria. And what's important about that? Well, remember in John chapter 4 we're told, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And so here's a real cultural barrier between Jew and Samaria, and yet Philip has the courage or the fortitude or whatever it is to, to, to break through that barrier and go to the Samaritans and teach them the gospel. God demonstrates His approval of what Philip had done in preaching to the Samaritans by enabling him to do miracles. God approves of what Philip did in going to the Samaritans. And we find in verses 12 and 13 that many of the Samaritans 
believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. They were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon the sorcerer became a Christian. Peter teaches Cornelius in, in Acts chapter 10. You remember what he tells Cornelius? He says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a, a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. Yet God has shown me that I should call, not call any man unholy or unclean. And so this just was not done for a Jew to go into the home of a Gentile. That, that was just taboo. <laughs> And yet Peter, being directed by God, he goes into the home of Cornelius. He teaches Cornelius and his family. Cornelius, of course, becomes a Christian. His family becomes Christians as well. And so in spite of those cultural differences, the gospel goes forward. The gospel is preached in many areas where Gentiles are converted to Christ. You think about the journeys of Paul and all the cultural differences he must have encountered, and yet... He didn't let that stop him. He continued right on preaching the gospel. And so there are many potential obstacles to the preaching of the gospel that we see in the book of Acts. And we can focus on the life of Paul himself, I suppose, and we can see that he was imprisoned, uh, he was beaten, faced problems from other Christians, all unsuccessful in deterring him from preaching the gospel. We could add to this list other possible hindrances, none of which actually were succeeded in preventing the gospel from being preached. So, if none of these things can hinder the gospel, remember how the gospel, uh, Acts ends, the gospel can, can continue to pre preach unhindered. Here's some possible hindrances. None of these hindered the gospel. If none of these can hinder the gospel, well, what, what can? Well, when I, when I was entertaining that question in my mind, I thought of a, another famous quotation. You might remember this little character. His name is Pogo. He was a character in a comic strip from the 1950s to the 1970s. He's a possum, by the way. He's a possum. He lives in the Okefenokee Swamp, which is down near Waycross, Waycross, Georgia. He's, he's, a, he's a kind of a cute little character. He's, he's naive. He's childlike. He's friendly. Everybody likes him. He has other swamp friends like Albert and Alabaster Alligator and Howlin' Owl and Porcupine. But, but Poco is, is famous for one particular statement that he made, one, one observation that he makes. It's, it's this. We have met the enemy and he is us. If intimidation can't hinder the gospel, if imprisonment can't hinder the gospel, if martyrdom can't hinder the gospel, if church problems can't hinder the gospel, what can hinder the gospel? What hinders you from preaching the gospel? We've met the enemy and he is us. You see, it's just us that can hinder the gospel. If the gospel doesn't go forward, it's not imprisonment's fault, it's not intimidation's fault, it's, it's that, that, that we have not risen up to overcome whatever obstacles have been put in our way. You think, you think Satan is going to let us go around preaching the gospel of Christ and not try to put any obstacles in our way? Of course he is. We, we can expect that. We just can't allow those things to hinder us from preaching the gospel. We, we can't allow this to be true. We've met the enemy and, and he is us. So let's think a little bit about 
What hinders us from preaching the gospel? Just make a couple of observations. It may be that we're not looking for the opportunity. We're not looking for the opportunity. We're not praying for the opportunity. You know, if we begin to look for opportunities, we might be surprised at how many of them we find. In Colossians chapter 4, Paul encourages the Colossians to, to pray for him. Look at what he says in verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with a, an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us. Okay, that's, that's good. I'm with you so far. Praying at the same time for us that God will open up to us a door for the Word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I've also been in prison. Pray for us that God will open up a, a door of opportunity for us to preach the gospel. And so, not only do we need to be looking for opportunities, we need to be praying for opportunities. Praying that God opens up the door for us to preach the gospel. And it may very well be that one of the reasons that we're not successful in our efforts, we're not looking for those opportunities. In Ephesians 6 and verse 19, we find a similar statement. Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in, an opening, in the opening of my mouth to make known the boldness of the mystery of the gospel. Pray for me that when that opportunity arises, I will seize the opportunity and I will speak the gospel with boldness. If you haven't been doing this, begin to do it. Look for the opportunity. Pray for the opportunity. Make that a regular part of your daily prayers. Give me the opportunity. Open the door for me to teach the gospel to someone, to expose someone to the, to the gospel. A second reason we may not be successful in spreading the gospel is we, we fear rejection and everything that may come with it. One thing is we anticipate rejection, don't we? <laughs> oh, they won't be interested. Well, here's, here's somebody. No, no. Or here's another guy. No, you know, I kind of know the way he lives, and he, he's not going to be interested. And so we, we, have, we have rejection built in to our thinking. And so that, that defeats us before we even get started. We're going to be rejected. We're, we're going to be. You see, not all soil is good soil. Some of the soil is rocky soil. Some of the soil is, is wayside soil. Some of it's thorny ground soil. And so not, not all soil is good soil. Everyone who's attempted to teach the gospel has been rejected, including Christ himself. <laughs> you, know, you might think, you know, surely Christ was so good at what he did. Surely when he attempted to teach somebody, they listened to him. Of course, that's not true. Isaiah 53 verse 1 who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who's, who's believed our message? We go out and we preach, and many people just don't listen. They, they reject it. It may be that we don't want to be seen as a religious zealot, overbearing, overly aggressive with our religion, driving people away with too much religious fervor, and, and so we don't speak up. I just don't want to be seen as one of those kinds of people. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 10, Paul says, I may be considered a fool, but I'm a fool for Christ's sake. And so we accept that, don't we? And so it may be that as we attempt to introduce people to the gospel or we invite people to services or invite them to a gospel meeting and just break the ice and get that conversation going, people see us as a religious zealot or overbearing or just too much fervor. Okay. 
At least I'm a fool for Christ's sake. And I'm willing to accept that. But the truth is, probably most of the people, at least among our friends, who we might try to teach with the gospel, they already know our character. That's why, that's why they're friends with us, you see. They already know our character. They already know our interest in spiritual things. They already know our practice. That's why they're drawn to us as friends. And so they're not going to reject you. They already know that about you. And so try to introduce them with the gospel. I imagine they would expect it. And so we fear rejection. And then thirdly, we fear success and everything that comes with it. Boy, what if I ask this person if he wants to study the Bible, and he says, yes. Now what? Now what am I going to do? I, I don't know. And so we fear failure, but maybe we fear some success as well. And our fear inhibits even offering the invitation. Remember 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, uh, Paul says, we're not given a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipleship. And so, and so don't be timid, be, be confident. Well, what am I going to teach if they say yes? What if someone accepts my offer to study, then what? Don't I need an elaborate, complex presentation of the gospel? Don't I need a, a lesson with all the, you know, all the points? Don't I need something that's kind of complicated and elaborate? Don't I need to be able to t discuss the finer points of the gospel or the nuances of theology? Don't... No, no, mm -mm, no. Look, simply study the Word. Teach what is found in the Word. Ask someone, hey, at lunch, why don't we do a Bible reading together? And, and begin reading the book of Mark together. You know, there's going to be discussion and conversation and comments. And the things that need to be discussed, you'll find opportunity to discuss them. Just teach the Word. Begin with the Gospels, move to the book of Acts. Be text-based rather than topic-based. Just gather a small group together. We're going to study the Bible. We're going to read through the Bible. Would you like to join us? You see, the content of our teaching is available. It's right here. This is the content. Open it up and read it. Open it up and invite others to study with you. We can teach the same gospel the, God, the apostles taught in the very beginning. It's recorded for us. Use the written word as the source. After all, it is the word that's the power to save and not our skill in presenting it. There are thousands of reasons why we can't even attempt to reach the loss our insecurities, our fears, our doubts, all of those things hinder us. We just can't, we just can't allow that. You know? And so, just, just, just remember, in the, in the book of Acts, intimidation couldn't stop the gospel, imprisonment couldn't stop the gospel, martyrdom couldn't stop the gospel, internal church problems couldn't stop the gospel, persecution couldn't stop the gospel. The only thing that can stop us from teaching the gospel is us. <laughs> We're the only thing that can stop us, and we just cannot allow that to happen. In Acts chapter 5, remember Gamaliel is with the other Jewish leaders. They're discussing what to do about the apostles. They're out there preaching in the name of Christ, and, you know, they, they, don't, they don't want them to continue to do that. Remember Gamaliel, very respected leader, very respected rabbi. He, he recalls two men who gained a following. One of them was named Thutis, and one of them was named Judas. 
After a little while, their movements failed. And remember what Gamaliel said? He said, you know, if this movement, that is, what the, what the apostles are preaching, if this movement is from God, we can't stop it. Now, if it's from man, it's going to fizzle out anyway. But if it's from God, we can't stop it. And so you see from the book of Acts, right on to the very end, how the gospel goes forward and cannot be stopped. And at the end of the book of Acts, we find Paul in prison. A prisoner, you'd think that would hinder him. But he kept on preaching and teaching unhindered. Let's not allow anything to hinder us in our efforts to preach the gospel. Yes, some of them are going to fail. Not all soil is good soil. But keep sowing the seed, trying to find that good soil that will bear fruit. In the previous sermon that I did, I kind of issued a little bit of a challenge. And it was this week... Think of one person, just, just one person, that's all I'm asking you to do. Think of one person that you can talk to about the gospel and do it. And just start that conversation and let's see where that leads. And so take that challenge, if you will. Think of a specific person. Don't just think, yeah, I'm going to talk to somebody. You think of a specific person, say, before the week is over, I'm going to f- f- find an opportunity to talk to him about, talk to her about the gospel. Maybe you set up a Bible reading or a Bible study or invite them to services. Just get that conversation started. That's what we've been trying to do here in these sermons on evangelism. Let's, let's just think of specific people and let's get, get, uh, get active in doing the work. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this opportunity to come together and to study from your word. Uh, We're we're thankful, Father, for the inspiration that it provides for us. We're thankful for those early evangelists, those early Christians who stopped at nothing in preaching the gospel. They, 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 They didn't fear intimidation or the threat of imprisonment or persecution. They were not deterred when their brethren created problems in the local churches. They continued to devote themselves to the preaching of the word. And even though many rejected their teaching and many turned away from them, there were others who did accept it. And they uh, became Christians and they thrived spiritually. And we're the benefactors of, of their work. We're thankful for that, Father. May we follow in their footsteps. May we take inspiration from what they have done. May we look for opportunity, even though we may be fearful, even though we may be hesitant. May we look for opportunity to to sow the seed into a good and honest heart. We pray that you'll open up that door of opportunity for us, that we will see it, that we will seize it, and the gospel will go forward. We're thankful for what Jesus has done for us. We're thankful for his death, burial, for his resurrection from the dead that makes us right with you, that gives us hope of eternal life. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. If you're here, you're not a Christian, but you're ready to